justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. And that's just a progression through the, the, the becoming of a Christian, and that's what he's talking about. And we're going to answer that question. We're going to look at a few things, and we're going to divide it up in the calling. And you think about it, the gospel is proclaimed by people, not just preachers, but by all Christians. The gospel spread throughout the world. God went, um, <clears throat> the gospel went through the, the world, and it still goes through the world, not just by preachers, but by every Christian talking to people, by sharing the gospel with, with co-workers, by family members. And that's how the gospel is proclaimed. That's, that's the way God left us that job to do through Jesus Christ. Jesus started it, but he gave us the, the sacrifice. He gave us the model. He taught us how to do it. But yet it's all up to the Christians and the believers to share the gospel message. And so that's very important. There's different types of calling, okay? And we're going to break those down and look at those different types of calling at to get to the gospel call. So let's look at this. The calling that Paul's referring to here in, in verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 30, is not a type of calling that people sometimes refer to as a calling when they want to choose a job or when they want to, I feel called to this location, I feel called to this church, or when they choose their, where they want to go to church. That's a different kind of call. That's not what he's referring to in this particular verse of Scripture. Instead, this calling is related to those who are predestined. And predestination is one of those things where, what do you, what do you mean predestined? And Because there's a lot of con. There's a lot of people talking about what's predestined and, and who's predestined and who's going to heaven and who's not going to heaven. But let's look at this really close, all right? It's, it says it's the calling is related to those who were predestined and who were justified. And that's what Paul's talking about. That is, it is a calling that came specifically to all those believers who believed in Jesus Christ, all right? Now, this calling is an act of God the Father speaking through human proclamation, through human beings sharing the gospel. This is God speaking through people proclaiming the gospel message in which he summons people to himself. This is a, the gospel is shared but, but the word of the person speaking the gospel has no transitional power whatsoever. That person does not change anybody. All they do is they're charged. We're charged to share the gospel. All we're charged to do is tell people about Jesus Christ and what Jesus does. God draws himself or draws people to himself through the proclamation of the gospel, through the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives, through the power of the Holy Spirit setting the stage, through the power of the Holy Spirit pricking their hearts, okay? So, so all, we're, all we have to do is share the gospel, all right? So it's speaking of human proclamation of the gospel in such a way that, that God summons people to himself in such a way that they respond in saving faith. And when we talk about faith, we talk about trust. Those two words go together, and we'll, we'll emphasize that a little bit more here. When God calls people in this powerful way, he calls them. Let's look at these, the verses of Scripture that goes with this. When God calls people to himself, the Bible is very specific about what he's doing and what he's calling to do. Let's look at 1 Peter 2.9 says, He calls them out of darkness into a marvelous light. He changes them from darkness to light. He draws them to himself, so he draws them to the light. That's one thing, 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says this, He calls people into the fellowship of his Son. To have a relationship with his son. To have a relationship with him through his son. That's one of the things that we, we talked about that this morning. We talk about that just among, almost on every message we talk about. Relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians 2.12. He calls him into his own kingdom and glory. Now, people who have been called by God. Another, a few more things I want to look at. These are specific things 
that, that Jesus talks about and God reveals to us, people who have been called by God, first in Romans 1, 9, this is Paul talking, they belong to Jesus Christ. They belong to Christ. We become his children. We are now part of his family. We're adopted into his family. They belong to Jesus Christ. When you look at Romans 1, 7, they are called to be saints to share the gospel, to be a witness, to be a witness for Jesus Christ, to tell people about him. That's what they're called, to be saints. 1 Corinthians seven fifteen says this, have been uh, come into a realm of peace. So, so Jesus Christ is the prince of peace. We're called to be in the fellowship with him. He's the prince of peace. He's the one who provides the peace that surpasses all understanding. He is, uh, we're, we're in fellowship with him, and he gives us peace. Galatians 5.13, freedom. We're called into freedom. Ephesians 1.18, hope. There is hope for the Christian. You think about it. Non-Christians have hope. They might think they have hope. They're, they, they're hoping for something. All right, But we have hope in the everlasting God, hope in an eternal life with, with the God the Father in heaven. All right, um, 1 Peter uh, 2.20, patient endurance for suffering. I mean, this is a tough one. I mean, you think about this morning. We had a long page of prayer requests, right? Look at the back of the bulletin. It's full of prayer requests. It's full of suffering. It's full of need. You can't go through a day that you don't hear about suffering. You don't hear about issues that, that, that we have to deal with. But we have endurance because we know the Creator. Uh, went to visit Miss, Miss Eleanor in the hospital today. You, you think God didn't know Miss Eleanor was going to the hospital? You think he wasn't prepared for that? You think he didn't see that coming, that he did not know, but yet he's still in control. And for the Christian, we have patient endurance in suffering. And in 1 Timothy 6, 12, eternal life, that is one of the, the greatest statements ever. The fact that when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. John three sixteen supports that. All right? So let's look at general calling and the gospel call. And so that's on your, on your handout. Let's look at this thing together. But there is a broader sense of calling that refers to any preaching of the gospel to anyone, whether they respond or not. So you think about it. Just because you share the gospel with somebody doesn't mean they're going to become a believer. It, and, and so that's where you need to be, uh, not specific, but you need to be uh, not, not numb to the fact but you're going to share the gospel with hundreds of people. You might have one person come to know the Lord. And you might feel frustrated. You might feel like you're not getting anywhere. You might feel like, well, what's the use? Only one person came to know the Father because of me sharing the gospel with 100 people. You know, preaching the message in front of 500 people and one person comes to know the Lord. Is that a benefit or not a benefit? You think about it. Yes or no? One person. What does the Bible say about all the angels in heaven when one person comes to know the Lord? They celebrate. Man, it's a rejoicing. And how many legions or angels are in heaven? Who knows? Well, the Bible talks about multiple angels. So you've got to know this. it's a big party when one person comes to know the Lord. In distinction from effective calling, and effective calling is when the response is made, which always brings a response, we can talk about the gospel call in general, which goes forth to all people. The gospel is going forth to all people. Because we have missionaries, because we tell people about Jesus, because we're still working hard at it. The Bible says that people are going to know the Lord. They're going to know God before he comes, before the second coming. All right? So in some fashion, it's going forth uh, to all people, and which is referred to as the external calling or the general calling. Now, 
The gospel call goes forth through the human preaching of the gospel. And you say human preaching, well, that's not just from the pulpit. That's from every Christian sharing the gospel with lost people. All right, the apostle Paul makes it clear in 2 Thessalonians 2.14 when he writes this, that their calling from God came through our gospel. Our gospel, which was the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But yet Paul was sharing it with them as our gospel. That is the gospel that Paul and others preached to them. That is why it is important that we boldly proclaim the message. You follow me? All right. Trusting that God will, through his effective call, do what he did for Lydia. When you look in Acts sixteen fourteen, and I may not have put that one on there, but in Acts sixteen fourteen, it says here, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. The Holy Spirit pricked her heart. The Holy Spirit opened her heart for Lydia to hear what Paul was saying, to hear what the gospel was being proclaimed. All right? So not all gospel calls are effective. The job of the believer is to explain the gospel message. So your job as a Christian, your job as a follower of Christ, your job as a believer is strictly just to explain the gospel. Not to say, man, please make a decision. No, you've got to make a decision. Man, you need to make a decision. You've got to make a decision. It's not a pressure issue. The job of the Christian is to explain the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And it is God's job to make the message call effective. Not our job. The creator of the universe, it's his job. It's, it's the Holy Spirit's job to make it effective. Whether it is or it isn't is not a factor for the Christian and not a factor for us. So, so that's where you need to take the hesitation out. You know, I don't want to share the gospel because they might reject me. I don't want to share the gospel because they might say something about me. They might call me a certain name. The thing is, is you had not been charged to change them from what they are. All you've got is ask us to do is to tell people about him and then further tell him what he's done for you. And so that's the, it's God's job to change anything that changes about them, all right? Now, let's look at this, the elements of the gospel call. And there's six different elements, and they're broken down into two different sections, but I'd have them on your, on your paper down under the bottom. Elements of the gospel call. There are three key elements that should be part of every gospel call. All right. So every time you share the gospel, you need to look at these three key elements. Now you think about it. Every Sunday morning when I finish the message, I end it with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Now you tell me that these three elements are not in every single time that we talk about it. An explanation of the facts concerning salvation. What it takes to receive salvation. How Jesus went to the cross. How he paid the sacrificial sin debt for us. That's part of it. An explanation of salvation. An invitation to respond to Christ personally in repentance and in faith. An invitation. Now there's some people that present the gospel and don't offer an invitation. I'm not one of those. Okay. Sunday night we don't have an invitation because every one of you I know for the most part, and, and sometimes we'll have a guest, but you think about it. Is, it. is an invitation necessary for this crowd tonight? Well, on Sunday morning, you don't know who's here. You don't know who's, who's watching online, or you don't know who might not know the Lord. But, that, but it, the Bible basically says an invitation to respond to Christ personally in repentance and faith. Now, you don't have to come forward for that, but there has to be an opportunity for you to, to do that. All right. And the third thing, a promise of forgiveness and eternal life. Those who come to know the Lord have eternal life in heaven. Amen? And we say that every week. That's the three things. Those are three things. An explanation, an invitation, and the, and the promise of the results 
of accepting it. Because you either accept it or you don't accept it. All right? The facts concerning salvation are basically this. All people have sinned. Romans 3.23. No exceptions. All people have a sin. Romans 3.23. The penalty of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. I mean, people use this, this called the Romans road. But, but, but the wages of sin are death. Jesus Christ died and paid the penalty for our sins. It's just that simple. You can, if you want to clip this out and just fold it up and put it in your pocket, you can always have it with you. I mean, you can use this as a guide, but anyhow, these are the three things that are important. Romans 3, 23, everybody has sinned. Romans 6, 23, man, it's, it's, it's death, eternal separation if you don't turn your life over to the Lord. He doesn't force you to, but that's what the results, that's what the Bible says is going to happen. I mean, Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. All right? Jesus Christ paid the sin, pen, sin, the penalty and the sin debt, Romans 5, 8. All right. Now, let's just talk about this. For this, is, this is where a lot of people get confused. Man, if I pray the prayer, everything's good. As long as I can pray that prayer, then I must be saved. Well, just, let's dig down to That's when we, we emphasize repentance, all right? But simply stating these facts isn't enough. There must be an invitation to repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ personally. It's not corporately. It's personally. Everything is individual. The relationship that you have with Jesus Christ is your relationship. It's not mine. My relationship with Jesus Christ is not yours. So it's a personal repentance. It's a personal change. It's a personal um, fellowship. And it's a personal relationship. Now, the words of Jesus are spoken past, present, and future. And that's important. Past, present, and future. But let's look at Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. And that's on your paperwork. So let's look at these, these three verses together. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Another version says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest in my souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You think about this. Well, I don't truly understand what a yoke is. I don't understand what, what he's talking about in this and, and what his yoke is. We'll be thinking about verse 28, 29, and 30 the invitation is open to everyone. What Jesus is saying is the invitation to fellowship with me is open to everybody. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, all you who are burdened. doesn't matter what your situation is because I guarantee you there's not one person in this building or that ever steps foot in this church that doesn't have a time in their life when they're not weary and burdened. Amen? And I might be talking about today. You know, the thing is, we all go through that. So Jesus offers that invitation to every single person, all right, everyone, no matter what uh, you're dealing with, uh, Jesus provides the peace and the comfort that you need. So it doesn't matter uh, when we talk about in our prayer list, people going through medical issues, people who have lost family members, people who are dealing with struggle. Man, it, it says Jesus has come to me, bring it to me, lay it at my feet. I'll take it upon my shoulders. I'll, I'll walk with you through it. All right? Jesus is saying, lean on me. These are some things I just read. He said, lean on me. Depend on me. Count on me. I'm all that you need. Amen? That's all, all we need. All right, so let's move on. To those who respond in faith to the gospel call, God promises that their sins will be forgiven and they will experience eternal life with God in heaven. Man, that's the best news ever. 
all just, he promises. Now, the thing is, is the promises of God are 100% accurate. He's never relinquished on a promise. Every promise he's ever made has come true to this point. And so, therefore, we can count on every promise that he's made that haven't come to fulfillment yet will come to fulfillment. Because we know Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen? He said he's coming back. And only the Father knows. But he is coming back. All right? All right. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can break that scripture down and just section it out and just look at it. And we, we briefly talked about that this morning, but that is one of the most uh, loving, God-filled uh, verses of scripture in the Bible. All right? So let's move on. How, uh, to call to, how the call is received. All right? After the invitation to respond to the gospel is given, God must bring about a change in the individual's heart before he or she is able to respond. It's not just going through the motions. If there's not a change in that person's heart, they, heart, they will not respond, and it will not be a genuine encounter. There has to be a change, and God brings that change in order for them to respond through faith. That change is a secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. It's something that's called regeneration. All right, so regeneration. So we're talking about regeneration, uh, justification, and then conversion. Those are all important things. We play no role in regeneration. It is completely the act of God. He is the one that causes a change. This change of the heart is described. Where did I put this thing? It's described in Ezekiel 36, 26. So let's look at that verse of Scripture together. Ezekiel 36, 26. He says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, I will put within you. So you stop right there. The fact that he's saying, I'll give you a, a new heart and a new spirit means change, doesn't it? It's changing from what you had to something new. All right? So I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, which is consistent with change. All right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation is not is a change. There's a difference from what he was. He's a creation because he was formed inside his mother's womb. God created that, all right, and then that person was born. That's a creation. But he's talking about therefore, if anyone is in Christ, therefore, if they're born again Christian, he will have a new creation. The old will be passed away, and see the new has come. So that goes to change, a radical change. You can call it what you want, but there's a change in the way the person the person acts. There's a change in the way the person thinks. There's a change in the way they desire for things. All right? Now, does it mean they're never going to sin again? No, absolutely not. That's not what it means. But there's a difference in recognizing sin after a believer versus before a believer. Okay? So before a believer, a lot of times sin is just one of those things that happens. It ain't no big deal. Same sin after a believer recognizes that sin, and it's a big deal. All right, so there's a difference. There's a change that takes place. All right, now, where in the world was I? Anybody know? <laughs> okay, let me go up here. I was about to jump. I was about to get out of here early. All right, this change, although not always immediately realized, you think about that. You say, well, man, he came to know the Lord, but he ain't much different this week than he was last week, huh? Has that ever happened? Let's think. It may not be immediate. All right, it's not always immediately realized, 
results in a transfer. It results. Here's the way it goes. This is the step process, all right? Even though it's not immediately realized, it results in a transformed heart, which is a changed heart that leads to a transformed character. It changes the person's outlook. It changes the things they do. It changes the places they go. It changes the way they act. It changes the way they talk, all right? It transforms their character that produces a transformed life. And that's the step process. That's the change. God changes them in the heart, but he didn't change their appearance. He changed them in the heart, which makes them look at things differently. All right? And, and it's a process that takes place. All right? So how the call, call is responded to. So let's, let's look at this right here. Once God has summoned through an effective call, which means once God has worked through a, a servant, a Christian's obedient response to share the gospel. And God has been working through the power of the Holy Spirit. Once he's summoned through an effective call and changed the person's heart, heart this is called regeneration. All right, The necessary response is repentance and faith. We ever talked about that? Every day. Every day, repentance and faith, all right? But since the gospel call is a personal call, it requires a personal response, all right? This willing, personal, individual response to the gospel call in which a person sincerely repents of his or her sins and places his or her trust in Christ for salvation is called conversion. Any questions so far? All right, simply knowing and affirming the facts of salvation isn't enough. The fact that you study the Bible, the fact that you know you're a sinner, the fact that, that you uh, can quote Scripture. You know, Satan can quote Scripture, and he knows who God is. You can't just have somebody say, well, I know God. You know, I, I know who he is. Satan knew exactly who he was. But affirming the facts of salvation, stating the gospel call is not enough. Truth-saving faith, which includes knowledge and approval also requires trust. One who has true saving faith is, is, has moved from investigating Jesus' claims. They're no longer a seeker. They now have knowledge. They now have things that, that are driving their, their fault. They move from investigating his claims to believing that these claims are true. No longer are we looking for... You think about um, who is the, the guy that, that we watched the movie about that was the, the reporter? Who? Lee Strobel, Strobel, anything, huh? Strobel. This is this this is very specific. Lee Strobel was a journalist, an atheist journalist, but his wife was not. Correct? You know what it was? She became a believer after they got married. I guess it was. And so he set out to prove that all this was was not accurate. And in the results of digging in and investigating, became a believer. Because it, is that the way it went? The case for Christ. Case for Christ. Have y'all ever seen that? Watch that movie with Lee Strobel, Case for Christ, or either read the book. But it was, it was very specific. He was investigating. The whole reason he was investigating was to rebuke it. And in and, and his investigation, found enough information that he moved from simply investigating to believe that the claims were true. And from believing the claims that are true to personally trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. In God, that moves a seeker to a believer is what that is. All right. Now, if if I have true saving faith, I no longer simply believe the facts about Jesus. Instead, I personally trust Him to save me. 
If I believe these facts, I truly trust him to save me. The Bible uses some strong language to describe this personal trust. We do not just have to believe Jesus. We don't just have to believe him. We have to believe in him. We have to believe what he said. We have to believe what he's done. We have to believe that he is the sacrifice. And we believe in him. And we turn our faith and trust over to him and ask him to lead our life from that point on. All right? Personal trust in him. And, and we depend on him. So there's two aspects of this. Repentance and faith. We talked about that. Repentance means a conscious decision to turn away from your sins. That's a 180-degree turn. That's repentance. It means change from what we were doing to what we're doing now. And then faith means simply turning to Christ to forgive our sins. Now, this kind of faith is admitting that you can't save yourself and at the same time believing that Jesus Christ can. All right? So just some simple questions to go, and we'll finish up with those. How does someone become a Christian? Anybody? Okay. Believing in Jesus Christ, turning their life over to him, asking him to come into their heart, and changing, all right? Can you explain what it means to truly believe in Jesus? Can you explain what it truly means to believe in Jesus? What? Gives you a desire to change. Gives you a desire. Yeah. Gives you a desire to change. Explain what it truly means to believe in Jesus. Anybody else? Trust him. All right? Let him lead. Follow him. He's in charge. I mean, it, it may not always be easy, but I can count on being there with me. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying I'm in the hospital. I can count on him being there. I'm not in the hospital. I can count on him being there. I'm sick. I'm, you know, we're, we have struggle. We have family members that, that go to be with the Lord. But we can count on him. All right? Explain. That's what it truly means to believe in Jesus. He's in charge. All right? What does it mean to truly repent of our sins? Anybody? Turn away. Exactly. All right. So turn away. 180 degrees going in the opposite direction. In what ways can Christians give evidence of their belief in Jesus? What ways can we do that? Share the word. Tell him what he's done for me. Live a Christ-like life. Man, attitude, language. What about loving one another? That work? Some people just hard to love, ain't they? <laughs> all right, all right. Anybody else? Tyler? You good? You good, okay. All right. I understand. I'm ready for it. You ready? Okay. Yeah. Trust and obey. What's that? All right. Any questions? Any comments? I'm about to wrap it up. All right, let's pray and, cl and close out, and that way you can have choir praise. I know Tyler's excited about it. So. He said he wants to be an alto now, though. <laughs> Is it alto or bass? Mr. Myron was singing some bass this while ago. I was hearing him. All right, let's pray. All right, let's pray. Father God, I come before you this evening. God, just thanking you for a, a great day in your house. God, just thank you for a time of, of fellowship with you, fellowship with your, your people. And, God, just the fact that we can come together corporately, God, freely, 
uh, because of freedom, because of freedom in this country, because of a lot of people who have paid the sacrifice for us. But God, help us to never forget the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. And Father, that's the ultimate sacrifice. And we thank you for that. Thank you for loving each of us enough, God, that you would, would send your son for us. God, just help us to, to be bold in proclaiming the gospel. Help us to guide people to you and guide people to your, to your cross so that they know who you are. Father, just help this church. I ask you to continue to bless Pine Hill. God, as we move forward to, to share uh, your word with a lost and dying world. I thank you for Jesus. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.